Today's podcast is brought to you by Accounting Buds. Accounting Buds is a special breed firm formed to meet the unique needs of the cannabis industry. Why do you need a specialized firm? Because cannabis is still illegal on a federal level. So plant touching businesses, even ancillary, you need an accountant who is up to date on constantly changing regulations. Accounting Buds offers a range of services, including full bookkeeping, reconciliation, and monthly reports. You can even get a virtual CFO, an experienced chief financial officer to manage budgeting, forecasts, growth, and expansion, all with monthly analytics. They also offer advisory services to help you build teams, systems, strategies. Whatever your financial needs, Accounting Buds will help your business have its best year ever. And now, listeners of the Trailblazing with Tiramisu podcast get a free consultation. Just mention you heard about them here. For more information, visit accountbuds.com. That's spelled A-C-C-T-B-U-D-S. That's A-C-C-T-Buds.com. You're about to get insider access to cannabis industry experts, entrepreneurs, activists, and living legends. Meet the people who live and blaze this life every day and are about to change the world. Now your host, the founder of Blazin Bakery, New Jersey's first edibles company with over a decade of national advocacy, sales, connections, and adventures behind her. A true trailblazer in cannabis. This is Trailblazing with Tiramisu. Today on the podcast, I have Jesse Gill. Jesse is a registered nurse who teaches patients and consumers about cannabis. She is a patient, parent, and the founder of Marijuana Mommy, an online medical marijuana resource that has reached hundreds of thousands of visitors. She's a writer whose work has been in publications such as Forbes, High Times, Good Housekeeping, and Vice. Jessie is also highlighted in Vice Land and a variety of news features and documentaries. This girl is everywhere. She speaks at conferences around the country, spreading the word about cannabis benefits, acceptance, and health. Ladies and gentlemen, a strong, smart woman working in the cannabis industry, my friend, Jessie Gill. Um, so when I think of you, I think of someone who is a really good representation of what a cannabis patient looks like. Because like, even just looking at you now, like you're always so bright eyed, so mm. like, you know, just very present in the moment, vibrant, well-spoken. And um yeah. So was it always like that when you were first becoming a patient? Did you have to experiment a lot to find something that allowed you to be so present for your kids, for your work? Oh, thank you. You know, I think I am, you know, it, definitely a good representation because I think there are so many different types of people that are utilizing cannabis and there's definitely a specific segment or, and many specific segments of the population that are scared to come forward. And I, that was one of my biggest motivators, like with marijuana mommy specifically and focusing mm -hmm. on the fact that I was a mom to create that safe space for, you know, other parents, because it is scary as a parent. Um, to speak up publicly about your use, especially as a single yeah. parent. Like I'm a single mom and that's scary because, you know, in a lot of places, you know, custody is still an issue. They can still take away your children. Now, fortunately here in New Jersey, you know, we have a, a lot more protection than other areas. Yeah. Um, and that was really like my, my motivation. Like if I can speak up, then I should speak up. Then I have an obligation to speak up. Absolutely. What was it like coming out to other mothers in the very beginning? That must have been kind of scary. It was. It was very scary in the beginning. Um, you know, it was it was hard, you know, it was it was nerve wracking, um, but it really felt like something that, you know, again, it was an obligation like you had I had to. And, you know, it, within my circle and even among my family and, you know, with people who knew me, they saw the impact directly because before I became a cannabis patient, I was on so many pharmaceuticals. Like I was taking opiates and Valium both around the clock. So every wow. four to six hours and a whole bunch of other stuff like Lyrica, which is, you know, really significant heavy duty medications that have tons of negative side effects. So I was yeah. 
barely existing. You know, I was, I was miserable and sick all the time. Um, and cannabis really dramatically changed that, you know, it didn't, it didn't cure me. I would say that all the time. I'm still, I still have limitations. I still have pain. I still have, you know, so many frustrating issues, but finally I have a medication that I can use to manage it without all of those horrific side effects and the people around me, um, saw that and you know, yeah. that was really impactful for them too. You know, in the beginning, a lot of people were like, oh boy, she's crazy. She's ah! lost it. We're unfollowing her. And- no more <laughs> IG, you know, they're like, she's out of her mind. But what, what, year, as- what year did you first become a patient? So- 2015. Oh, so that's pretty recent though. Like the world was already a bit enlightened, you know, because we've had the program that, uh, in Jersey well, was- since 2009. So, yeah, but there was still only like when I started like 15,000, 20,000 patients, like it was still crazy. Yeah. And when you look at the population, I mean, even right now, like we have 70,000 patients out of 9 million people. Oh, I know. It's like, it's tiny. So yeah, I mean, there was still a lot of, um, you know, I, I honestly, when I became a patient, I had no idea about the medical marijuana program. Never in a million years did I think I would qualify. And I, I'm a nurse. I'm a registered yeah. nurse. And I, I was a hospice nurse. So I was really an expert at managing people's pain. And that was one of the most frustrating aspects for me about my injury and, and my issues. Because, you know, for years, I took care of other people and I helped them, you know, and I, I was good at, at, you know, creating comfort and relieving pain. And then when it came to my own pain, I knew about what medications I needed and what should work and what treatments. Yeah. Nothing helped and nothing worked. And it was so frustrating. But I believed like when somebody told me about cannabis, I'm like, if, if that really helped, like, ah. then I would know about it. That's it. It's the Dunning-Cougar. Yes. You hear you that so often. There's so much I want to talk to you about, like all these points you're hitting <laughs> on, but just why don't, cause I, I know your story, but why don't we back up for people who don't and just, you know, talk about, you know, you just said you were a registered nurse, but you had this accident and then, you know, just go into that. Yeah. So I am a registered nurse and I was a hospice nurse and I loved it. You know, I was really passionate about it. Um, it was an incredible, incredible vocation. Um, and I was injured at work in just a bizarre freak accident. And I suffered multiple herniated discs in my neck and a whole bunch of nerve damage, um, throughout the back of my head and, uh, my right arm. And, you know, like everybody out there who gets injured at work, I started, yeah. you know, workman's comp and, um, pursuing you know, wellness. And I thought for sure, you know, I'm going to find that doctor who fixes me. I'm going to, it's just a matter of time. I'm going to try another medication. Something's going to work. Yeah. And cause you were pretty, you were pretty young too, right? Yes. Yeah. It was 2014 that I was injured. So, yeah. So yeah. you would think like, Oh, I'm going to bounce Absolutely. back. I'm still, and I was, yeah. in, I was fit. I was marathon training at the time and wow. doing advanced yoga every day. And I was like, of course I'm going to get better. It's just, you know, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. It was shocking and I never did, you know, and I, I went through all of the different treatments that they recommend and tried all the prescriptions and eventually I had a multi-level spinal fusion and that, um, made me worse. So I, I know you can't drive. I remember we were in the car one day and you were like, this is like all I could do. Is that from the fusion? That's from the fusion. Wow. Yeah. So before the actual surgery, I was still driving and, you know, tons and tons of pain, tons of issues, um, tons of issues in my arm as well. Um, but I did have a lot more mobility and that was, you know, that, that sucked. Yeah. That sucked a lot. That's one of the, the most frustrating things. I think most, one of the most frustrating ways it's affected my life. But, you know, I'm fortunate in so many ways. I can do everything else. I also can't run. I haven't been able to run ever since. How come? Um, I can compression walk on your spine? It's the impact. Wow. Um, and it creates, I have so much nerve damage in here. And nerve damage from the surgery as well. I actually have nerve damage in my throat. So I have a lot of swallowing issues as well. And that's from wow. the actual surgery when they go in. Um, so it's, it's frustrating. And I always think back, like, what if I had had cannabis before the surgery? Like, would I... Oh, had that surgery. Wow. And and, and how long did you miss it by like starting to use cannabis first having a year, a year. Oh, that's that's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, so I've always, I've worked in cannabis for 11 years now. So, um, yeah, amazing is a strong (laughs) word. We age in dog years in cannabis, but, um, (laughs) but, uh, 
Yeah. But um, yeah, so when I was in 2009, the law passed, it was probably 2010, whenever, whenever the first dispensary opened. I, um, I have a, a type of epilepsy where I haven't had a seizure in 15 years, but so I, yeah, it's, it's great. It's controlled. But so I approached my neurologist and said, Hey, I'd like to try this, um, instead of, you know, the tons of different, since I was born with this, since I'm a child. And I, when I was a kid, I used to have to get blood work for liver function and all that. And, you know, if I was looking to get pregnant, it had birth defects. I was like, I'd really like to get off the pharmaceuticals. And the doctor said to me, he's like, absolutely not. Like I could lose my license. People are going to, you know, lose their, their licenses over this. Like he was like hysterical. And I thought I had like such a cool neurologist. Um, (laughs) so yeah, so that was a dead end, but I, you know, I've gotten very close with the legislation since then. And actually what it was is even for epilepsy, all traditional pharmaceuticals had to fail before they would let you try. It was the last line of defense. And I said, like, if I had a child, like, especially CBD, would be my first line of defense. Like it's so gentle. Our bodies have an endocannabinoid system. Like we are designed to consume this, you know? So, um, I, the legislation has really improved a lot for patients. I know you talked about custody. That was something even in last year's bill that I, I remember adding something to add further protections, but were the protections there when you were going through your divorce? Um, well, it was, I went through divorce a long time ago. It was over a decade ago. So it was way before I was a patient. Okay. Yeah. So, but, um, there were some protections there in there. Um, there, you know, there were, weren't, I think the specifics that needed to be in there. Yeah. Um, But yeah, there was something, um, you know, other states don't have nothing in some other areas. It's, it's terrible. It's, it's distressing. Yeah, no, it really is. Um, so when did, I, I wanted to point out, like, I think it's, you know, it's, it was the same thing when I became a patient too, I qualified under muscle, skeletal muscle spasticity, um, untreatable by conventional methods. So the same mm-hmm. thing, you had to try everything, which is just ridiculous. And for, for yeah. many conditions, cannabis should be a front line. It's, it's yeah. ludicrous that we are giving these patients these addictive detrimental uh, pharmaceuticals when there might be a more natural, safer option. Yeah. And we know the long-term effects of a lot of those pharmaceuticals. You know, my, my mother's had, um, you know, Parkinson's symptoms from a side effect from one of her medications. She was on like Mm -hmm. 20 years, you know, and uh, and in some ways now those side effects are irreversible where, you know, it's, it's really frustrating. Um, She was in the hospital one time and they were pumping her full of opiates, you know, she was in extreme pain for weeks and I was starting to then worry about addiction and this and that. And, um, as they were taking her off, it occurred to me because the way our, I'm sure, you know, medical coding, we don't have a way to code for cannabis. If you go into the hospital, they just put you down as a substance user. So I was like, my fight isn't really done until you could be in the ER and still be prescribed cannabis, which we're still pretty far away from. Far, far, far from. Yeah. So when, um, when did it turn for you from, okay, this is something that helps me to, this is what I want to do with my life and make a business out of it. Uh, that was gradual too. So let's see, I was the business, the business part, I guess it kind of all merged. So, all right, let's see. I was, I was already writing. So I write a lot. I've written for like, um, you know, my pieces have been all over like cosmopolitan and good housekeeping and, um, a lot of different places. And I was writing, you know, about a lot of different things and it just kind of gradually, and I was, I was blogging about health and, um, and, uh, family health. So then when I became a patient, I'm like, I have to share my story. Like it was an obligation and I knew like I had to, um, you know, and that's when I started slowly just, you know, writing, writing more about cannabis. And then just eventually it just transitioned full time because there was so much that needed to be taught. And it was such a, an area that was in need of, yeah. you know, health guidance and in need of somebody who had a, a medical background who could, you know, um, help guide new patients who were scared. And that's really yeah. the whole premise behind Marijuana Mommy. It's about teaching new patients how and why to use cannabis. And it's basically, you know, all of the, the basics. We, t- we talk a lot about, you know, the, the different ways that cannabis helps, but also like practical things like recipes and how to make can of butter and, um, you know, a, a whole bunch of different things. That's awesome. So I was going to say, you're such a good writer. I know you have a, a local 
uh, I don't know if it's called a column anymore, but you with uh, NJ.com, I always see you oh, up there. Oh, I had, I was, it was with NJ Cannabis Insider. And then, yes. yes. And then it was published in NJ.com. And then in the Star Ledger, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's really yeah. awesome. But so you're, you've been writing for a really long time, even pre-cannabis. So did you have like a following as like a blogger back? Yeah, I had followings and, and communities, small, a small following and, you know, a lot of different communities that I was a, you know, a big part of. Um, so yeah, most of them just very, it very naturally and easily transitioned. And even, even like now it, you know, I find I don't generally get a bad reception usually. Like when I start talking about it, people are very interested. And even among the medical community, like that's a question somebody asked me recently, like how do your colleagues re react? They're so positive. Like you get, you know, some people who will, they'll always, until, until they experience it themselves or they have a loved one who's close to them that they see it firsthand, they will always believe the prohibition that's been brainwashed into us for over 80 years. For but sure. there were, you know, for the most part, people were very, very open. And as they start seeing, you know, it in the media more and they start seeing more research being done, you know, they're, they're and they start meeting more patients. They want to know more, like, how do I help these patients? What interactions yeah. are there? And there are, there could potentially be many interactions. So it's yeah. been very, very positive in that manner. Like most people are at the point where they're really let, ready to learn more. Yeah, you told me something I had not heard before. Uh, the hyperemesis, is it? Hyperemesis, yes. Yeah. Cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. Yeah, tell people about that because I thought that was super interesting. It's super rare. Yeah. It's very, very rare, um, but it's a very, very dangerous complication of uh, potential complication of cannabis use. And it's something that we see generally in people who have been using for years and who are consuming high doses. Mm -hmm. um, and it's what they develop this condition where they just, it's cyclic vomiting and they just start Easy. vomiting and that's hyperemesis. That's the emesis. And it's just constant. Um, and they can't fit all the tests. They can't figure out what's working. Um, antiemetics or, um, nausea medications don't work like traditional nausea medications, um, generally for yeah. patients who have CHS, um, and it can be potentially deadly and it's very easy to stop, but hard at the same time. The, the only way to, to treat it is for the patient to stop all cannabis use, including CBD. They can't have any. Wow. And some patients have even reported that even secondhand smoke has triggered vomiting episodes later, like after, you know. Um, but yeah, they have to avoid all cannabis use. And, you know, if they don't, it, it can kill them. They can die from wow. multi-system organ failure. Yes, people will become so dehydrated that they will die. And again, it's very, very, very rare. Of course, and, of course, yeah. You know, we we see we're seeing it more and more in the media. And my my concern is always that sometimes it's overdiagnosed. Mm. Um, so some in some areas, a doctor will have heard of it, and they'll be prejudgmental to a cannabis patient. And you walk yeah. in, and if you say you've ever used cannabis, oh, you have CHS. And it's like you're not. It's a it's a diagnosis that you can only obtain by exclusion. So anybody who suspects CHS, they should stop using cannabis right away until they, but they should, the doctors should consider all of, like should continue with their treatment and do all of the procedures to rule out everything else. Like everything so else needs to be. What else could be presenting that looks like All bladder issues. Okay. There's a whole, anything that can cause nausea and vomiting, everything, you know? It wow. could be even something like a, a urinary tract infection can cause nausea and vomiting. So you know, usually people start finding it. Usually patients don't realize what they have until like after multiple hospitalizations and they're like, what's wow. going on? Like, why am I sick? And they're seeing experts and specialists. Then, you know, something is really up. Like if it's a first time episode and people are diagnosed, I'm a little more hesitant to believe yeah. it, you know? So, um, you said there are a lot of interactions and, um, I, I know something we commonly say in cannabis is no one's ever died from it. There's no lethal amount. And I am beginning to think that, well, what, like you just said, someone could die from that. And I've also heard there's um, cardiac problems that if you had an underlying condition. So are, are we lying to people when we say no one's ever died from it? Um, I, you can say confidently, nobody's ever died from a cannabis overdose. Nobody oh, has. Nobody's oh, for ever sure. Died from overdose. Um, can cannabis kill people when we look at CHS? Well, I mean, I, it's not an allergy. I want to be very specific that CHS is not an allergy, but let's compare it to allergies. Like are peanuts dangerous? Do peanuts kill people? Sure. You know, because people have died from a bad reaction to peanut, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, it's, 
it's really, it's a very dangerous, adverse, you know, process that can be triggered by cannabis, but realistically stopping the cannabis would stop the disease process and people wouldn't die. So maybe it's denial. You know, a lot of people don't want to believe that's like one of the challenges with CHS. People don't want to believe it's real, especially since we've seen it more in like long-term adamant cannabis patients who this is part of their life. Like we've even Alice Moon, who's very, you know, involved and popular in the industry talks about it a lot. She suffered from CHS and it's really, really, it's Mm -hmm. devastating when it's, when cannabis is such an integral part of your life, when, you know, Mm -hmm. it's woven into your communities and your social circles and it's part of your career. Can you imagine not being able to consume and being surrounded by people? No, I couldn't either. It's yeah. And so, so I think that's really, um, you know, the way, I mean, as far as interactions, yes, but it's the same thing. Grapefruit juice, grapefruit juice can interact with a lot of medications, actually very similar way. It's the, that same metabolic pathway, you know, do Hmm. we consider grapefruit juice deadly? Do we say people have died from grapefruit juice? Not necessarily. Yeah. Okay. Fair, fair. I just, you know, I, I obviously am very pro cannabis, um, but I, I I know, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, but I, I don't want to ever just live with blinders and say, perfect, you know, so that way, if people come at you with, you know, well, what about this? You say, okay, well, I have the knowledge and here's the counter argument to that. Absolutely. (laughs) I always tell people, you know, nobody's ever died of a cannabis overdose, but there are risks like all substances, caffeine there are risks, you know, so we have to just have education and and teach people about those risks. As a cannabis nurse. So in the beginning, I said, you have this like bright eyed, vibrant, are you uh, medicating throughout the day or? Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh yeah. All day, every day. So has it been uh, a challenge or a journey of selecting the strain that's right for you has? And uh, it's been a huge challenge. I am very very strain sensitive. So there are a lot of strains that cause anxiety for me, mm-hmm. um, especially the more, you know, energizing strains that we have out there. I, I have a very hard time, you know, uh, using those. So it, it has been challenging, especially in New Jersey. And you yeah. know this, it's impossible. And it's, it's irresponsible the way that our program has such poor access to, to cultivars and, and such poor, uh, consistent access. And that's one of the biggest challenges also as a nurse, helping other patients. Like a patient will find a cultivar that works perfectly for them and then they can't get it for six months or eight months. Wow. And it's, it's terrible. And, you know, they'll go back to the dispensary. They'll be like, oh, well, I got something different. And it's like, it's like if you were going to a pharmacy to get your blood pressure medication and they're like, sorry, we don't have that. But here, yeah. try some cholesterol medicine this month. See how yeah. that works out for you. It's exactly. absurd. It really, really is. And yeah, people, it's, I realize like it's just the ignorance of the legislators because they don't know what they don't know, you know, and it's just trying to educate them. There's still so much bias where they just view it as like, oh, you guys just want to smoke weed. So Absolutely. yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And also the roots of administration are really frustrating. The limited access to cartridges and edibles and concentrates like, you know, we're, we're pushing smoking, which is my least favorite um, method of consumption for anyone. I think I just think that there's so many better ways out there, at least vaporization, um, yeah, you know, and, and that's really what Jersey is positioning its patients to do. So, but um, yeah, so you're still a nurse and you do this full time now. So you, um, was there a period where you were like, Oh my God, what am I going to do with my life? And I know now you do patient consultations and things like that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, of course. Oh my God. (laughs) Yes. Um, you know, it was, I think more so that started with my accident. And, you know, when I realized, you know, you're, I'm never going to have my career. And that was probably about a year after my accident before I realized I wasn't going back, you know, for a long time. I was like, it's just, I'm going, I'm a nurse. I'm always going to have a job. Like that's why I became a nurse job security, you know? And, um, that was devastating to, to, to realize, you know, you spend all that time working towards it and it's a career that you love and then, yeah, not being able to go back. So yeah, you know, I was writing. I think that's really what kept me and has always kept me afloat, my ability to write and ability to, you know, write for other people or, um, you know, write for publications. So that's really what saved me. Um, Much more challenging to make an income, you know, as a writer than as a, you know, employed registered nurse. But yeah, so it was really, you know, also kind of 
like amazing to get to the point where I'm like, I can help patients. I can do consultations. And, you know, I created, I created a course for patients and now I can guide them through that. Or I can teach, um, you know, I do a lot of classes for like, um, and workshops. Well, I was doing a lot of classes and workshops before COVID happened, but for sure, um, <laughs> for, yeah. for various healthcare facilities, like, you know, um, different ner- um, home healthcare nurse groups or, you know, different groups of pharmacists. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's been amazing. Well, in, very so- fortunate. in some ways you were very COVID ready because you have a very um, significant digital presence to begin with. Yes, in some ways, <laughs> but in other ways, it's not like, so I have a pipe shop too. I have yes, um, pretty pipe shop. Yes. Pretty pipe shop.com. And that's really been like a big part of my income as well, building that. Um, and that has been devastated by um, the lockdowns. My total supply chain is completely shut down. I have no inventory. It is oh my absolutely a hundred percent devastating. So it's ironic that yes, I have this online business that I can do a hundred percent online. It doesn't have to close. Yeah. You can't get anything. And, um, yeah, I think that's really a huge issue for so many companies right now who have, you know, gotten overseas inventory. It's very, very challenging to get it right now. Um, Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize you were actually doing like inventory pre-pipe shop. I thought it was like mm -hmm. an affiliate or drop ship or something. Yeah. There was a lot of drop shipping that I was using as well, but yeah, Yeah. now I'm holding inventory, but the drop shipping is is also totally effective. Is it? Okay. But one of my challenges with the pre-pipe shop is it's super niche. So it's very, it's about affordable glass with a feminine edge and finding that, you know, domestically is very, very challenging. Uh, Finding a lot of functional glasses in domestically is challenging unless it's like hand blown, you know, gorgeous pieces, but for sure, Um, you know, and just the, the idea of this industry catering to women is a very new concept. It's immensely male dominated. Most of the time I was coming up, I mean, people Mm -hmm. used to come up to the booth and look through me. And if I had like a guy friend in back hanging out or helping out, they would just say, Hey, can I talk to your boss? You know, like just automatically <laughs> still do that. They still, they still do that. I, I still get that. If I go on a press pass, they'll be like, I have to talk to him because he's press. And I'm like, I'm press. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, um, and especially with investing, oh my God, have I uh, received mm-hmm. discrimination? You know, I, I actually want to start talking about that. Not, not on your time, but I, I have some ranch. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how, how have you found being a woman in the industry? Cause you're on lists all the time of, you know, women doing great things. Yeah. Same. It's challenging. You know, I think we're going to deal with sexism everywhere. Um, I do think we have some more, a lot more visible women. And I do think it is more of a, like our industry, the cannabis industry really makes effort to, you know, appeal to women at this point. And they're really making an effort to, um, support, you know, females in the industry. So I think we're slightly better off, Yeah. but I think it's always, a ch- you know, that's always a challenge. I, I think we're benefiting from, because we're such a young industry coming up in an age where Definitely. we have that awareness, as opposed to things that have been around for a hundred years and their foundations were laid in a much different time. Couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. That so, is the one thing that the one <laughs> advantage about prohibition, right? Right. But <laughs> starting so, on more you cool footing a <laughs> little bit. You look for I I, I gotta look for silver lines. <laughs> throw myself off a bridge in Jersey soon. Um so, I know. We're, we're suffering a lot out here. We really we are. really like our licensing process is such a nightmare. How, were you involved in that? Were you trying to I mean I was on uh, some of the like a patient advocate boards, but you know, nothing. Yeah, I yeah. wasn't too involved in any of the process. So, okay. So, what's your thoughts on the black market? Because that under COVID is absolutely exploding. You've talked about lack of patient access, and you know, horrible, horrible. So, um, do you ever, when you're, I mean, not legally, you wouldn't say to your patients you should seek the black market, but there are times when that's people's best options. Sure, that's a huge challenge that healthcare professionals face. Um, yeah. You know, if you know. If your patient is dying from cancer and they can't, literally can't get any medication from their dispensaries, and you know where they can get medication that would save their lives, it's this very, very difficult challenge between our ethical responsibilities as a healthcare provider and the vows that we take um, and this legal obstacle to overcome. So it's a huge, huge challenge that a lot of healthcare providers face. And, you know, as far as the, the illicit market, thank God 
for the illicit market. Thank <laughs> God, especially in, in this, because patients do not have access. And I've had patients that have come off of all of their pharmaceuticals and become, you know, they've become dependent on cannabis. That's, that's how it works. If you're dependent on pharmaceuticals, of course, you're going to be, you know, they need the cannabis to, yeah. to treat their conditions. And then suddenly there's, sorry, you can't get an appointment. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You know, the places are closed. We had a, a, you know, an outbreak, you know, and that is devastating because what do they do at that point? It's yeah. not that easy to go back on pharmaceuticals, especially, you know, for, for many patients, especially like for many patients, if they were, came off of opiates, like to go yeah. on opiates now is, is very, very challenging. So that has been a huge issue. And, and so, so, so many patients, um, recently because of, of the lockdowns here in New Jersey have turned to the illicit market. They've had no yeah. choice. It's been the only way that they could get medication. And that is, it's heart wrenching and awful. Yeah. I know so many people who are thriving on the black market right now. And it's almost like I can't blame them because like you said, thank God for it. Because, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a, a child who has epilepsy or end of life type of treatment yes. and, and these people are in pain or cancer, like you're, you have people suffering. And, and also when you say dependence, that's not to be confused with addiction. Totally because, different, yeah. Yeah, we're not talking about people like, you know, right. cracked out and being like, ah, yeah. I can't get my, it's literally, they're dependent yes. on this because it improves their quality of life. Yeah, It's like, a, you know, a patient who's on blood pressure medication is dependent on yes. that medication. You can't suddenly exactly. take it away. A person on antidepressants, they're dependent on that. You can't just rip it away. You need to either yeah. change it or titrate it down or up. Same with cannabis, same thing. And, and that dependence is why it's been deemed essential, which is amazing, exactly. but it just seems like this really, it's great that we got that because in a lot of ways Thank we got God. the, oh we got, God. can you imagine if it wasn't first, then the black market would just own the state. And I, I don't know. I think that would position us in a way that like a California is where we would never come back from it. Cause it would be such a mm. time where we were just had such a thriving gray market at some point. Right. <laughs> but, but I feel like, um, our state is almost doing thus to that anyway, because you know, with the lack of say edibles or, or things like that, you're really forcing mm -hmm. people into the black market. And we've had so many years now of limited licenses and nothing on the horizon to improve our situations. I feel like Jersey is going to be one of those places where it doesn't go away for a really long time. Yeah, you know, and not to mention our exorbitant prices because the costs in New Jersey yeah. are disgusting and obscene. Like to get a three ounce, three ounces is like fifteen hundred dollars in some dispensaries. Fifteen hundred dollars yeah. a month—that's insane, that's bonkers. And yeah, I think it's you know, I think it's 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 a huge issue, and that does drive a lot of people to purchase illegally. At the same time, I have a lot of reservations. Like it depends. Do I know where it's coming from? Like if I yeah. know a grower and I know what's going into it, then maybe I'd be more comfortable. I'm always concerned about, is there pesticides in it? Is yeah. there mold in it? Like, is it going to make me sicker? Yes. You know, so, and that's a challenge, especially with some of our, our more vulnerable patients, like our patients who are on chemotherapy and stuff like that. Molds, you know, in a, in an illegal grow can kill them, you know, yeah. if that's not being checked and, and watched. So, you know, it, it is, it's, it's, it's choosing between, you know, the lesser of two evils, you know, which yeah. it, it's very hard situation. And you mentioned like epilepsy, like pediatrics for parents yeah. who are looking for medication for their kids. Oh my gosh. It's a horrible, horrible ethical and emotional dilemma to place on them. Like, and, and you're right. New Jersey has a long way to go. And, and, you know, like when I became a patient, you know, five years ago, I was, I, you know, I was like, oh, it's going to come down. The prices are going to come down. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. Access is going to get better. <laughs> I have less yeah. access to my, my cultivars now than I did when I first became patient because the program has grown so much. Like we've grown what in a matter of a few years from 35,000 to over 70,000 patients. Yeah. But our supply has not grown equally. You know, it's, it's very sad. There was an episode I recorded about six months ago and I just launched last month. So it was like, we did this one and then a bunch of stuff happened. And I was talking to the person. I was like, Hey, your episode's up. And he's like, Oh, isn't it a bit dated? And I was like, you know what? Sadly, no. Like we have all the same problems, all the same challenges. In six months, we've essentially accomplished nothing That's in so New funny. Jersey. And it, it really is. It's just like all of us are banging our head against the wall every day. And we're giving patients these terrible choices. Like you just said. I, I talked to someone who's like, because now the lines are dispensary. Someone sent me 
a picture of cars lining down the road to it. For it's yeah, and and my one friend was like, I'm just gonna go and sell them for half the price and twice the quality, and just go down and sell black market. Smart to and make a <laughs> fortune. Yeah, right. I was like, it's not terrible. Do you want to wait idea. in line, or do you want to like, buy something better for less money? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it really is the situation, and um, it's price gouging. To uh, there, I've heard now they can produce cannabis in Canada for a nickel a gram. Wow. Yeah, like commercial production. Crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's the thing too, like Jersey, we're going to have a short lifespan here if we keep this up because eventually this is going to be federally legal and the cheaper States where especially outdoor and sunshine's free and then countries like, and Absolutely. you know, these dispensaries are just taking advantage right now because they can. They really, really are. I agree. You know, they, they can because yeah. what other options you have. And another issue we have here is the whole delivery situation, you know? Yes. It's, yes. It's, you know, I have patients who, are, you know, have gone to the illicit market because they are literally scared to death to go into a dispensary. And we've had outbreaks in dispensaries. We've had uh, yeah. dispensary employees testing positive. And it's a shame because the whole, you know, that contact is not only dangerous for our very, very vulnerable, you know, patients, but our, yeah. our essential employees, like our dispensary staff shouldn't be put in that constant contact situation either it's just it's ludicrous harmony's been doing a good job with their their curbside they've been Have they? really good with limiting contact yeah and it's fast and quick but it's hard to get an appointment it's very difficult yeah. to get an appointment yeah i've had people reaching out to me like hey can you get me in here can you i was like i <laughs> <Pull. Sorry. laughs> can't get yeah. myself in <laughs> yeah um now it's it's pretty crazy and so like where do you see the future going like in a jersey level and a federal level Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I had really high hopes, you know, that we'd be all legal now and things would be different, you know, yeah. 100 days is gone. Oh so, my God. So One... I I have really low expectations for New Jersey. I'm sad to say, like, I think our ballot, we have it on the ballot yeah. in, in November. I think it'll pass, but I think it's going to be years before we see regulations sure. that actually put it into effect. Because look what happens. We have the Jay Koenig bill that passed that's supposed yeah. to open up, you know, telehealth permissions and open up delivery. And they just haven't bothered. And it's been a long time. The legislation is there. The law is there. I'm not sure what's creating it, we, the bottleneck. I, I worked a lot on that bill. I'm this, probably the single largest like civilian contributor to it. And, and there was so much thought and care that went into things like that, like delivery. And, and now, even when you see something like this, that puts a spotlight on how much we need it. I had during when COVID started a liquor store delivery menu the next day. I was just like, I started getting hit up by liquor stores. And I was just like, this is like, okay, sure. There are alcoholics who are dependent on alcohol. Sure. Yeah. It needs to be essential. Yeah, I get it. But, 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 but let's be realistic. Most of these people getting these menus are not patients. They are. <laughs> None of them are patients. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, the fact <laughs> not, not, uh, you know, a, a Chardonnay <laughs> patient, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fine. You can, uh, self-medicate, but that's not why I got the menu. Um, so yeah, it's really frustrating. And now that, mixed drinks. Now you can order margarita. Yes, yeah, literally, <laughs> literally, we are putting through, we are just waving regulations and putting all these things through. And it's like, we can't get a bag of cannabis to a person who's dying literally in months now. And the DOH just keeps, and like, I, I, I respect that they are having a terrible time right now with Obviously, this. They're a little busy, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but like, it feels like we've been abandoned, right? Like I yeah. feel abandoned and I know that so many people, you know, so many cannabis patients also feel abandoned because it's like the department of health never even like sent out a text to, or a, an email message that says, you know, we're doing everything we can, blah, 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 or yeah. anything. There's been zero contact. Yeah. Message. That's very sad. It is. It, uh, this whole thing is frustrating. Do you think, so I think something good that's going to come out of this is people are going to have been so worn down with COVID and all the challenges and their spirits are so kind of broken that something as simple as cannabis legalization isn't going to seem like such a hot topic anymore. They're going to be like, yeah, whatever, legalize weed. I've, I've just worn a mask for six months. You know, people are dying around me, like whatever. Right. <laughs> That's so, a good point. Yeah, people be too tired to fight against it. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be some apathy. 
But um, so did you use cannabis before you became a patient ever? Yes, years okay. ago I did. And I hadn't used it in like more than a decade when I became a patient. And that was one of my things. Like it was from a time that was really, really hard in my life and really, really bad. And I had so many negative associations to it. Mm. And I'm like, you know, I don't, if, if that's going to, like, if I'm like, I, I've smoked joints before. I know what it is. I know it's not going to like fix me, make my pain better. So, and that was one of the things, you know, that had really, um, I think prevented me from jumping on, you know, board. My mom's actually the one that convinced me to become a cannabis patient. And she was like, you're, you've tried everything else. She's like, you've tried everything. You're floating in tubs of salt water. And I was, I was going ah! for flotation of therapy. And I'm like, I was desperate. I had tried everything, you know, every yeah. supplement out there, every alternative therapy I was, and it's all expensive. And I was yeah. going through money and going through it all. And she's like, why wouldn't you try this? And I'm like, you know, it's so expensive and I don't think it's going to work. And she's like, your dad and I will pay for it. And they took wow. me to my first appointment. She's like, she said, God works in mysterious ways. And I was like, that is <laughs> so cliche. Like, whatever. I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll look into it. And, you know, I went, they took, they took me the first time I went to my appointment. They, they took me to the uh, dispensary and yeah. you know, it was very, that's amazing. awesome. And then, yeah, that day, the day that I started, that same day, I was able to stop both opiates and Valium. And then later, like, you know, within six months or so, come off of everything else. So it was really, wow. really impactful. And for me, immediately impactful. Wow. So you got yeah. your mom to buy your weed. That's, <laughs> that's pretty I awesome. I never expected that. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, I don't think they did either. <laughs> it's a crazy journey. It really is. Like, so when you're uh, consulting with other mothers, and I imagine you consult with all kinds of patients, what do you end up recommending the most? Is it, rec oh, and also, let me ask you this. So you're an RN or a nurse practitioner? RN. So RN. they put into the new bill that um, can, pre can prescribe. Really have you thought can. about, have you thought about doing that? I have. I have a lot. I don't know if it makes sense. I don't know. I've gone back and forth with about that, but I've always thought about going back to get my NP as well. Yeah. So maybe that could be in the future. Um, but yes, so I, so because I'm not an NP and because I'm not a doctor, I can't recommend anything. Mm -hmm. So, but I encourage patients to really explore, like, you know, it, it really depends on the condition. Like there's, so, there's such a variety of, of, of different, you know, ailments that people can utilize cannabis to help address the symptoms. So it really depends. Um, generally, I encourage new patients to start with a dry herb vaporizer and just start, you know, just to try it out because, you know, one of the biggest causes of patients not to continue with cannabis treatment is, is anxiety and panic attacks, mm. you know, especially with edibles. And it's less of an issue here in New Jersey because we don't have access to edibles. But if you like, you know, when you talk to patients in other states, they'll go to the store and they'll buy something from the dispensary. The people won't tell them. We, we have better counseling in New Jersey than a lot of other um, areas. Mm -hmm. And they'll buy, you know, a hundred milligram cookie and they'll go home and eat the cookie, you know? And yeah. they don't know that they should be starting with like 2.5 milligrams to five milligrams. Yeah. It's super low, you know, or then you get the people that don't know how long it takes for edibles to kick in and like to eat something like, well, I, I didn't feel anything. So I ate more and then I ate more. And then it's like an hour later, all of a yeah. sudden they've overconsumed. So yeah. I always encourage people to start low, you know, then increase low. That's the mantra in the industry. Yeah. Um, but I prefer dry herb vaping and I like dry herb vaping because of the immediate effects, effects and also um, because the, it wears off more quickly. And then, you know, as patients start becoming more comfortable with the feelings of, you know, inhaling cannabis, then we slowly start, you know, um, exploring edibles very slowly. But also CBD. CBD is so, so important. That's not yeah. highlighted much in our, in our program here in New Jersey. There's, yeah. you know, every, every place has a CBD strain. Um, but I actually get my CBD from hemp. I use hemp-based CBD because it's so expensive here in New Jersey and there's yes. a limit. Yeah. <laughs> so I um, get all of my CBD from hemp. And then I, you know, usually it's depending on where they are, New Jersey-based patients, you know, I usually encourage them to look at that as well. But we usually come up with like a plan, a program, you know, and then tracking is very, very important too. Um, you know, keeping track of how much they're consuming and when, and, and for new, for newer patients, you know, it's, it's really that those first few weeks to, to months where they have to learn how to self-evaluate, you know, yeah. it's, it's such a, 
a difficult concept for patients to grasp and for, for practitioners as well. You know, usually somebody's sick. Oh, I look in the book. Oh, you need 30 milligrams yeah. of this. Take these two pills. You're going to be fine. That's it. You take those two pills. Cannabis doesn't work like that. Yeah. Um, and it's very individualized and a lot of people get frustrated with that. But one of the things you have to be able to do is to self-reflect and to self-evaluate, you know? So I encourage people to write down your feelings. Like if you're feeling pain, write it down, scale of, you know, zero to 10. If you're feeling anxiety, zero to 10, what it is before you consume. Yeah. And then write down what you're consuming and then reevaluate afterwards, you know, depending on whether you've done inhalation or, um, you know, so ate edibles. The, the one thing I do think is great with edibles is as far as consistency goes, you could always have that time where you're like, oh, I didn't realize how warm it was and you get a really big hit or it's like drying out and then like you repack it. It's like, there's a lot of variables with smoking. If we actually had a tried and tested program here where you knew you were getting two and a half milligrams every single time, then we actually could dose patients more accurately. Um, and I think we get a little closer to that when we start talking about cartridges. Um, where do you feel like, does, is that part of the journey? Like we start with dry herb and then it's like carts or edibles or? Um, not necessarily. Um, some people are just good with dry herbs. Some people go to um, edibles. Some people go to carts. Um, with carts, I'm a little bit resistant. They're not my favorite method. I'm always worried about additives. I'm also worried about the actual oil in, in inhalation via the methods that we have now. Because oh, if you look at the actual cartridge, um, you know, sometimes it's able to, you can suck. And depending on the cartridge, you can actually get globs of the cannabis oil come through, like that hasn't been ah. vaporized. And it it's, you know, it can be a deform, you know, a defective cartridge or maybe not even necessarily defective cartridge. Um, so there's something called, um, there's a specific type of pneumonia um, that you can develop if you inhale, you know, because it's an oil and if it gets into your lungs. So I'm always very cautious with that. Um, yeah. You know, I have my reservations with that. I also have my reservations with the higher doses. I, some people need really, really high doses, but I encourage people to start lower. And then if you need those higher doses, then you go to them. Um, but for somebody who needs to smoke like several joints, obviously a concentrate is going to be much better for them. Yeah. For somebody who only needs, you know, a few hits of a, a low dose THC product, uh, the cartridges tend to be much more concentrated than they need. Um, as far as edibles, I agree with you. Like the consistency would be amazing if we had access to like knowing. But, you know, one of the things I've run into clinically is not everybody's metabolic rates are necessarily the same. So you, so some people can have like a different experience. You can have, a, you know, take a certain dosage today, tomorrow, you know, it might not necessarily work the same. Um, and it could be an absorption issue. It could be a metabolism issue. Um, and then, you know, another challenge of edibles in general is not everybody can actually absorb um, oral cannabinoids. Some people, and it's usually people who have a history of a digestive disorder. Like some people, they have zero effects. There's no effects whatsoever. Really? Mm -hmm. Don't yeah. hear that very often. It's, no, I would say in my estimation, it's like 10 to 15% of, of patients. And I deal with a very high acuity. The people that I'm talking to aren't just casual users. They tend yeah. to be, you know, Crohn's patients and ulcerative colitis patients. So I do have a lot of digestive disorders in, in the population that I'm interacting with. But yeah, it, it tends to be, you know, people who've had gallbladder issues or the gallbladder removed, and it's most likely a, um, an absorption, absorption issue. And, you know, a lot of times some patients might have difficulty absorb, absorbing fats, and it could very likely be related to that because we know that, you know, our, our cannabinoids are absorbed um, via lipids. So when someone does like a sublingual, I always figure like that's partially the absorption on site, but it's also you're swallowing it too. It so is. like, would they be able to do that or would it still be just an inefficient method? It would still be inefficient. So sublinguals are amazing. Yes. Sublingual traditionally, classically a sublingual, it's all absorbed under your tongue. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're using a product that's made with like extracted with alcohol or a vegetable glycerin product, that's possible. It can be absorbed under your tongue. But a lot of people are taking oil under their tongue and it's, it's not all going to be absorbed. It's just, you, it doesn't absorb oils well in our mucous membranes. They just yeah. don't. And um, so they do end up swallowing them and processing them more as an edible. 
Um, but yeah, so somebody who can't absorb it in their, their mucosal tract, in their uh, digestive tract, yeah, that's not going to be the best method. They would just want to see that they had a true sublingual. See, this is like a problem I'm having with, especially with CBD oil. They're calling everything a tincture and they're oil. So that's, it literally means alcohol-based, correct? Yeah. You know, I don't know. I think (laughs) there's, there is zero accepted nomenclature in the industry and it's really, really frustrating. You know, my ideas of a tincture, I think when they're saying that they're using alcohol to extract, um, something like a, a feco, like a fully extracted cannabis oil, and then they're mixing that, using that to infuse the oil. That's maybe, some people do call oils tinctures. It's yeah. it's technically not, like it's, I mean, from what I've learned, but again, there's really, I don't think there's really an official Bible of, of what, you know, they consider to be, you know, in cannabis. I know, you know, even yeah. things like full spectrum, like it's very, very challenging a lot. And we talk about this, you know, I'm, I'm uh, part of the American Cannabis Nurses Association, which is an amazing, oh, cool. um, or yeah, it's amazing professional um, organization of nurses around the country um, who are specializing in um, cannabis therapeutics. And, you know, even there we were talking about how frustrating it is not to have this nomenclature. Like you'll see a lot of times like full spectrum on the bottle and there's zero taste <laughs> and zero color. So we consider full spectrum to be everything in the plant, like not just the cannabinoids, but also the terpenes and the flavonoids, everything Mm -hmm. in there. And so when you get this bottle, it's like, that doesn't, that's not, but there's no regulation. There's no, you know, there's no authority on, on labeling in, in cannabis. And 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 that's, I think that is so difficult because you want the regulation. So people are getting the best product and they know what they're getting, but the people who are regulating it, often don't know what that answer is. So they end up putting crazy restrictions that <laughs> actually cripple the program instead of making it more efficient. Right, right. So or I, they put silly restrictions that mean nothing. <laughs> yeah, like when the FDA wanted to make it so you couldn't ingest CBD in any way. Like I was like, that's no. It's ludicrous. <laughs> yeah, you know, or when they banned um, vape carts in Massachusetts because that's of the so black awesome. market issue, mm-hmm. you know? So, so often you get people regulating and it hurts it, but you're like, yes, I want regulation. I want patients and people to get good quality tested products, but please like bring in an actual cannabis consultant and do this the right way. Yeah, that's so important. The cannabis consultant, that's like that's the biggest. I think a lot of people just come into the industry and they're like, oh, I think I'll, I'll Google this and I'll do this and this and I'll white label yeah. my stuff and I'll put it out there. And they have no idea like any yeah. of the details, you know, and this whole issue of testing, you know, we're always looking, especially in hemp, um, you know, we're always looking for companies that are testing, that are, that are fully testing everything. And you'll see now everybody has it on their bottles, third party testing, mm-hmm. but a lot of it's kind of a sham. The only thing they're third-party testing is the cannabinoid profile. So it's good. You do get the cannabinoids that you think you're buying. It does get you to go on what they say on the label, but they aren't testing for pesticides or heavy metals or mycotoxins yeah. or you yep. know, all of these other things. You know, that's, that's really expensive. That's a full panel test. So now everybody's like, oh, I'm making sure my tech brand is testing, but it's like, what are you testing for? So, yeah. and it's a shame because now consumers have to dig in deeper. Like, yeah, you have to really look at all of those tests. You need to get the COA and check everything, not just the but cannabinoid le- profile. But like you said, it's really expensive. So are, unless now are we putting this in the hands of big business instead of the small people who are kind of, you know, starting their natural CBD lines and they are taking all the precautions and they're buying from reputable distributors. So maybe the product they're getting when it was in a giant vat was tested, but now when it's the end of the line, well, they're like, well, I know this is the COA for my ingredient. I'm just going to do the cannabinoid profile. So I make sure I'm dosing correctly. But if the end consumer is like, oh, I want the full test, then you're putting this in the hands of big business kind of too. No, the only people that I know that are really doing the full tests are really like those more smaller ones that are making sure because the bigger business, a lot of them are, are the ones that are skimping, unfortunately. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Yeah. I don't know of many, I only know one place that's doing a full panel right now and it's a smaller, smaller Vermont based company. Oh, that's awesome actually then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's kudos. It, it, but you're right. It is, it is challenging. Um, and you know, that makes it even harder because 
you're competing in an industry where you do are competing against these big box people and it's not standard to test for everything, which again is, you know, one of the challenges that we're facing as, as a quality, you know, that a lot of clinicians are, are very, very uh, concerned with. Is this the type of thing they do and say like alcohol? Like is my bottle of, you know, wine or vodka tested for heavy metals and contaminants and I all that? I have no idea. I, I'm very curious about that because I, I do not. know, probably not, right? Like I do feel at least when we get to an adult no. use market, like the always the restrictions they put on cannabis are so much higher than any other industry. But I'm just like, you know, this is, uh, you want to put out a good product, but if someone's just like eating a edible on a Friday night at a party, like this, the extra cost that's built in, you know, are we going to be able to get around that? The extra regulation is it ever going to be like, I don't know how tested is a six pack of Budweiser. <laughs> <laughs> well, how tested is any of our food? No, there's no testing. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends what you're getting. Like when you purchase food or purchase alcohol, it's not something that you have to, I mean, with food, you, you have to put it in your body, but you know, generally it's, you know, with alcohol specifically, you don't have to have it. It's, you know, and you can choose organic if you want to choose organic. Yeah. With, you know, if we're talking about a medicine, as you know, or what people are, then it really should be organic. And if it's mm-hmm. something that people have to put into their bodies at high doses, especially when you talk about like patients that are using like a gram of feco a day, that's a majorly high dose. That's a lot of concentrated pesticides and toxins and stuff that they True. could be putting into their body. And I think the bigger challenge is the the misconception of the labeling that people think they're buying things that are fully tested. They think this has been checked for pesticides. They think that, you know, these safeguards that they're putting on it mean something and it doesn't, unfortunately. So I think, I think that's more of a, uh, of the challenge when you look at it, as far as regulation, I mean, I'm talking about hemp and there is no, there's no requirements. There is no regulation. You know, people Mm -hmm. can do whatever they want. And unfortunately that's resulted in a lot of really bad products on the market. You know, there's a lot of great products. There's a tons of good products and there's a whole bunch of crap out there that nobody should be consuming. And it's horrific, but you know, that's one of the challenges as far as cannabis specifically, it varies a lot, like from where state to state of what they have to test. And, and I don't, in Colorado, there's really very little requirements as far hmm. as, um, you know, they don't have to be organic. It, there, there is pesticides in a lot of the products. And really? Yeah. You, I think New Jersey is the only place that requires no pesticides, but even our testing here in New Jersey is, is kind of a sham. You know, it's all is tested, that- but well, the amount of time it takes by the time you get there, and they just take like one little clipping of a plant. Or and something. that's another issue facing all testing everywhere, hemp and cannabis. Like you're testing one little piece of a plant. Plants vary a great deal, from, yeah. you know, even within the same crop. But no, in New Jersey, they're testing everything at the Department of Agriculture labs, and they don't even have the equipment that they need there to fully test to where they should be testing, you know, as far as making sure there's no pesticides and, and um, you know, residual residuals yeah. left in our, our products. Yeah. But it's, it, there's no third party labs in New Jersey. That's still illegal. No. And that's another thing. I know so many people waiting on the sidelines who are just waiting to open them. We have such an industry. I, it's heartbreaking the amount of people at this point who have lost properties they had, who have just lost tons of money waiting for I this. I know. I know. It's, it's a killer. And then you weed out the smaller people and the, the people who are really like have it in their hearts mm-hmm. and put everything yeah. into it and you weed them out. And it's only the big corporations that are, are standing in the end. Yeah, it kind of seems set up that way. This in, here in New Jersey, it's a shame. Yep, yep, it does. <laughs> um, so, what can we see you coming up in? Because we can't leave the house. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would normally say like, where are you speaking? Where are you going to be? But nowhere. <laughs> I'll be in my living room <laughs> the next few weeks. <laughs> um, so you can go to marijuanamommy.com and check out my site. I always put up there what I'm doing. I have new videos coming out all the time. Um, and new pieces. I don't really think I have much on my schedule right now coming up. Okay, cool. Um, 
Have you, like, I've been doing a, oh, you're always welcome to join. I've been doing a weekly hempy hour. No, I know. I definitely every come by. Week, every week, I'm like, I'm going to go. And then it's like, you know what it is? I go for an evening walk and it's like always at like the tail end. I'm like, I got to run home. And then I'm like, oh, it's too late. <laughs> yeah. It's fun though. It's really keeping me and like a lot of other people still kind of connected with our, our little can of fam and all that. Awesome. But, um, and we did that one brunch I thought was really cute too. That was but... really fun with Proud Mary. That was fantastic. Yes. yes I, I love that I felt super guilty because I won Kim's prize in trivia and I was like it's not that's not a fair fight I can't play in trivia <laughs> like, like encyclopedia should have just given you the prize I know I, I tried to give it to the site but you know what? it was actually kind of cool because I got to try more of Kim's products so awesome I, I love her, her. I love her products yeah she's yes. fantastic. so well thank you so much for coming on and um pleasure. yeah what's do you want to give out your social and all that stuff too uh it's marijuana mommy everywhere you can, you can okay let's see marijuana underscore mommy at um at twitter on twitter and i should have written this down let's see jesse gill dot marijuana mommy on instagram and um, you can search marijuana mommy on facebook and that's pretty pipe shop and everything is all there and if oh they pretty wanna... pipe shop is all separate yes yeah, yeah that's up too and if they want your consulting and all yes, that. Yes, but unfortunately, I can't sell anybody any products right now because we have nothing to sell. <laughs> okay, well, they could bookmark things for the future. For, <laughs> yes. For when life starts up again. Yes. Okay, awesome. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on. This was thank really you, fun. Thank you, Tara. All right, have a good all one. Right. Stay safe. I'll see you soon, hopefully. All right, bye. So close yet so far away. I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Trailblazing with Tiramisu. Trailblazers, if you could take one moment and go to Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and rate and leave a review, it really helps other cannabis supporters find us, and it would mean the world to me. We have new episodes every week, so make sure you're subscribed so you're always getting the latest Trailblazing content. I would love to connect, and you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter as Blazin Bakery. That's B-L-A-Z-I-N Bakery. Check out BlazinBakery.com for awesome cannabis products, including our new CBD pet line, Blazin Barkery, a company I founded with my dog, Diablo. As always, my name is Tara Masu. Love you all, and keep on trailblazing.